On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Today is September the 4th. It is the birthday of Henry Ford II, sometimes recalled as HF2, a man who would oversee some particularly transformative times in the Ford company history in the 20th century. He brought it to a publicly traded company. His lifetime, however, also brought major changes to the company's once enormous factory in Cork. Now, the story of Ford and Cork is a remarkable one. It begins at a time of revolution. It carries through decades of transformation in the automobile industry. And Donald Fallon has just hopped off his own Model T, his own Tin Lizzie, to come and tell us the whole story. Donald, good to see you as ever. Uh, Henry Ford, uh, Henry Ford 2, HF2, uh, he made his own triumphant return to Ireland in the 1970s and he really did get a hero's welcome when he came. And what's so amazing about it is it's the 1980s when the Ford factory in Cork closes. So little could they know in the 70s how transformative the, the immediate future was going to be for the, for the car game all over the world mm. in, in Cork, in Detroit and everywhere else. But yeah, in 1977, HF2, what a great name, mm. uh, arrives in County Cork. Sounds like a spaceship, HF2. Sounds like one uh, of those high speed rail lines are trying to build in Britain amidst lots of like Midlands disruption. He wins the hearts of the Irish by flinging prizes in all directions and all expenses paid holiday to Detroit uh, for, for two. Bestowed on one man who was a winner of a competition to find the oldest cork-built Fordson tractor in Ireland. Okay. So rewarded for his loyalty. Uh, cars for factory workers drawn in a lottery. It was all very good. It was booming times still. Uh, born in September 1917, HF2 uh, was just a baby when you know his grandfather arrived mm. in Cork in very different times. And his granddad, Henry Ford, mm. transformed the automobile industry in a way that would come to shape the 20th century. Think about the car, was anything as significant as the car? You know, It went from being an expensive luxury, the preserve mm. of very few people, into something that was more broadly obtainable. And it changed everything from labour, you know, where you could go to work, how far you could live from work, mm. recreation, you know, where you could go on holidays. Uh, it shaped planning, it shaped our cities, suburbia. The car changed everything and no one changed the car quite like Henry Ford. Indeed. Um, HF2, we should clarify for people who aren't as intimately familiar with the family history, HF2 is the grandson of the original Henry, which is why he's HF2 and not HF Jr. Um, Henry Ford, the, the elder, uh, was the son of an immigrant, but they did settle in a more unusual American city than a lot of others. Yeah, born in the 1860s, son of Corcone and William Ford, and his dad from near Clonakilty had gone off in 1847, so God, right, at the, height, right yeah. at the height of the crisis, uh, the famine. And, you know, we think of that period of emigration that comes up all the time in this slot. It's New York, it's Philadelphia, it's Chicago, it's Boston. Detroit doesn't really come to mind, but what, what mm. I didn't know before researching this piece, Irish migration to Detroit was significant enough and from like one part of Ireland that an area in the western side of the city became known and is still known as Corktown, which is amazing. <laughs> so Corktown, wow. Detroit. Yeah. So Henry Ford, he has this emotional attachment to Cork that's very real, you know, but his story is very much connected to the development of, of Detroit. And actually it's quite sad Detroit today because, you know, a little bit like Belfast had the shipbuilding industry, that mm. disappeared, but now that's kind of become tourism. The tourism thing didn't really happen for Detroit out of the car industry. It's just an industry that disappeared. Yeah. But it is a city with a historic connection to the automobile industry unlike you know any other. And yeah. Ford began as the Detroit Automobile Company in August 1899. Yeah, Detroit is one of those cities that's now in such hard times that I think it's one of those cities where you can actually, you can literally buy a house or you can almost buy a row of houses for a dollar but because the idea is that then you have to invest the money to bring them up to code, but they're desperate for people just to take out dereliction to try and restore the city because such is the, the, the fall of the, the major industry that kept it going. Um, Ford proved to be one of the real great American, classic textbook American success stories. 
And it was all really down to that one car. Yeah, they love these stories in America, don't they? You know, you can if I can you can make it here. Anyone can make it here if they work hard enough. That idea. And I suppose Ford is the great American success story, as you say. The Model T car. Uh, the Model T arrives in October 1908. It's the American car of the early 20th century, the Model T. I mean, it's it's $825 in 1908. Still a lot of money. So, yeah. But Ford was obsessed with making it cheaper, more accessible. I think he eventually gets it down uh, to under $400. And there's a uniformity about the car. You know, they were all black. Yes. Black paint, right quicker. Famously, yeah. And Ford Is that famous, what it was? Apparently that's what it was. Okay. Dried, dried quicker. And Ford famously put it, any customer can have a car painted any colour that he wants so long as it's black. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. And it's estimated that at one point half of all cars on the road in America were Ford Model Ts, which was absolutely amazing. That's astonishing. Uh, I knew that he was uh, big in uh, assembly lines and uh, conveyor belts and trying to like do this stuff at a math level. But even the idea that it was black paint because it dried quicker, that just blows my mind. Um, it is later on when Ireland enters the mind of Henry Ford and he does see it as something of a mission to try and uh, and give something back to the outside and to lift the country economically. Because the success keeps coming. I mean, they're, they're producing a quarter of a million units by 1914, which is absolutely amazing. Wow. When, I think, when there is otherwise so little of a market for cars. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the First World War begins in that year too. That would have negative impacts, you know, wartime inflation, still a reality in the world, mm-hmm. you know, that's what happens. But, you know, Ford has this fascination with Ireland and that leads to the Leaside factory. And in his own words, it was about bringing industry to Ireland or to be more precise to quote him, to start Ireland along the road to industry. It's a great way of putting it. That's mm. what he sees as his mission. God, yeah. And 1917, it's announced the Ford Company factory be constructed in Cork, manufacturing or aiming to manufacture 50,000 Fords and tractors a year incredible uh, that's even just that line about bringing industry to Ireland he's not just like bringing his industry or bringing some industry he's actually talking about bringing In- industry industry to with a capital I you yeah. know, bringing industry to the country because basically it was a country that effectively hadn't had very much industry of its own which, which is striking to think was it just an emotional attachment to Cork was it like oh dad was from, from, from Clon so I need to go back to Cork or, or was there something more at play for the choice of site I think like Leanne Blaney who's written a great history of the car in Ireland she she makes the point that there's a lot more at, at play here than just you know going back to the old sod she writes that there was a belief that Cork was in less danger of German U-boat attacks Cork was geographically <laughs> closer to America uh, you know from where all the raw materials needed to construct the tractors would have to be imported okay, yeah. and then she makes this great point though Cork was not industrialised to the same extent as many other regions of the UK it did have a large labour force many of whom already had substantial experience of working in the city's breweries I mean Cork is so Anonymous with breweries like Beamish, mm. Murphy. So that meant that there was experience, you know, in factory work. And that was definitely a, a okay. pull factor there too. So in one sense, yeah, Cork was perfect. And then there is the positive press. You can't get away from the positive press of a returning migrant name, you know. So it's practical. Uh, there's economic reasons behind it. There's emotional reasons behind it. And the site is Cork Park Horse Racing Venue, which had drawn tens of thousands of people on occasion to mucky horse racing. But that's the site that's chosen. Now, there was one line in there, and I stress that this is you quoting from the story, and you're not putting it all out there, but you, you talked about 1917 and how Cork was... Uh, you know, less industrialised than other parts of the United Kingdom, which is an interesting turn of phrase because we're, we're talking about a time of revolution where there's an awful lot up in the air. And one would think that these being dangerous times across Ireland yeah. and in Cork, that it would impact on this burgeoning new industry that was trying to set up there at the time. Yeah, a couple of years ago when, when I did that show on RT, National Treasures, where we, we went around the country with, with John Donald Creedon. was the National yeah. Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> we know John Creedon was the National Treasure. We just followed him around the country. But we asked people to bring along stuff that they thought told the story yeah. of, of Ireland. And one of the items that was brought to our attention was a grenade moulding from workers at the Ford factory. 
which wow. was amazing. So these lads, these lads were like creating IRA munitions, you know, on the side in the Ford factory. <laughs> so that's the time that we're in, you know. And it's really interesting when you read the correspondence between Cork uh, and and Detroit. You know, one management figure, a great quote that Leanne finds. He writes back during the war. He says, "Conditions in Ireland seem to be getting worse. A raid on City Hall last night. The Lord Mayor and ten of his associates arrested. It's a nightly occurrence to see armoured cars running around the street and to hear machine guns fire all night. The next morning, the shop windows in the main street can be seen full of bullet holes. I mean, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, to be sending it's back from Cork, image, yeah. from, Cork to, from Cork to Detroit. Please so, invest more money here. Yeah, we, <laughs> yes. please help, send help. Yeah. So despite that, there was never, you know, despite the fact that Ireland is in the grips of revolution and Cork, you know, especially from the second half of 1920 on, Cork might be the most dangerous place to be in Ireland. There's never a question of Ford pulling out. Yeah, which is testament to, to their commitment as much as anything else. And, and they withstood... So they were able to withstand revolution and, and revolution, and then civil war and everything else as well. But there were economic realities in other places that sometimes did prove a bit yeah. too much. You could you could survive the war of independence on your own doorstep. You could survive the Irish civil war, but then of course comes the collapse of capitalism in the nineteen thirties. You know, many, many people think it's over mm. uh, with with the Great Depression, and six thousand workers are let go. I mean, that must have been amazing. Yeah. Six thousand people God. let go in a city the size of Cork. Can you imagine? Uh, then in the eighties. You know, as the world is changing economically, production moves elsewhere. And when they close the Ford factory, what's so strange about it, there's only 800 jobs really. There's 1,000 jobs left and 800 of them go. And when you read the government papers that were released in, in, in recent years, they, they give you a sense how surprised the government were in the 1980s. They really didn't see this coming. They, they didn't uh, see the world moving the way it did. Yeah, That's surprising. Gareth Fitzgerald, his government said, we are prepared, as we've always been, to sit down with Ford to see what options are open by way of state action to enable the assembly of cars to continue in Cork. But look, it was over on Lee's side. It was a changing world economy. Production was happening elsewhere. And yeah, what a massive blow that was. People still talk about the effect of that uh, in the 1980s in Cork. Dunlop went around the same time too. These great kind of employers of the city mm. just gone like that. Um, even today, despite it being now four decades on, there is still a real connection between Cork and even just the name for yeah. it. And that most Corkonian of newspapers, you know, the Irish Examiner. The paper. Uh, yeah. The paper. Yeah. They insist that the pride is still there. Very nice recent piece reflecting on the factory. They said that generations of families are grateful for the reliable employment and good pay. Ford remains the only car company in Ireland to have its head office outside Dublin, employing 40 people in its Cork office. It never left its ancestral home. So 40 people today, you know, it's it's not the, the great employer it was once upon a time, but it is still there in Cork. Still there in Cork and still there continuing on the business that uh, Henry Ford's father uh, once possibly had his mind's eye when he left this country in 1847. The history of Ford in Cork brought to us as ever uh, by Donald Fallon, historian, author of the Khmer to be books and of Henrietta Street from 10 Minutes of Suburbia and presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the history of Dublin and also, I would think, a bona fide national treasure. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. It all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.